This is Sherry Elwood, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 34 for Monday, September 12th, 2011. Well, today I am very, very excited to bring you an interview with producer-writer Sherry Elwood, who is the creator and showrunner of the multi-Gemini winning Call Me Fits. And when I say multi-Gemini, literally... They just won seven Gemini Awards. And uh, for our U.S. viewers, that's basically the equivalent of winning seven Emmy Awards. So that's a pretty big deal up in Canada. You can catch Call Me Fits on um, the movie network uh, HBO Canada in Canada and also in the States at DirecTV or on Netflix. Um, but uh, we're going to get right to the interview in a moment. First of all, I do want to mention the website tvwriterpodcast.com where you can find all of our back episodes. There are lots of great resource links. There's a handy DSLR page where you can find out about how to shoot your own short film or webisodes. There's also a TV writer Twitter database with over 860 TV writers and continues to climb. Check out those resources. And if you ever have a problem connecting to the site, happens for some reason because of the server, a very small percentage of users can't access the site. You can also go to blip.tv slash TV Writer Podcast and find all of the episodes there. So lots of great ways to connect. Speaking about connecting, make sure you do follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones is my handle. That way you can find out about the interviewees who are coming on up. And also make sure you follow Sherry Elwood on Twitter at Elwood Inc. That's Inc with a K. But speaking about Sherry Elwood, we're going to roll with her interview right now. Enjoy. This is Gray, and I'm here with Sherry Elwood, writer, producer, and also the creator and showrunner of Gemini Winning, Call Me Fits. How are you doing, Sherry? I am excellent. Thank you. And congratulations on the pile of Geminis you won. You just cleaned up. We did really well. Yeah, we, uh, you know... We uh, were happy about the nominations, and we were even happier about the wins. Yeah. <laughs> Funny yeah. how that math works. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and we'll get to Call Me Fitz a little bit later, but uh, kudos, awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much. As a Canadian, I always love successful exports, and, uh, and I love when something is shot in Canada and goes all around the world. So very, very cool. Um, but, hey, you are Canadian. Born and bred Torontonian, yep. And I uh, went to film school in Toronto, and uh, I have family that uh, has roots in Nova Scotia, so I have hung out here quite a bit. So when the opportunity came up to do work out here, you know, it's, and it's happened a few times, I've jumped at the chance because the crews out here are so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And the locations, beautiful, beautiful country. It, yeah, it really is. Of course, we spent a lot of time making it look um, dingier for fits, but... Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so you, you grew up in Toronto. At what point did you know that you wanted to be a filmmaker? It's something I always knew. I and mean, I was always obsessed with film and, and television. And I mean, I was the kid, uh, you know, at a very young age could, you know, quote from 
you know, Quincy, because I'd be staying up late to watch reruns of, 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 of Quincy and, mm-hmm. and the Twilight Zone. And uh, I was a, I was a visual artist, and I always wrote, and uh, film and television, to me, seems like the logical mix of the two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now we almost went to the same school. Um, you started at York and then transferred out of York the, the year that I started at York. <laughs> but uh, you went to Ryerson. I heard you were coming, Gray. <laughs> <laughs> Which I almost went to Ryerson and then went to York because they offered me a scholarship. But tell me about the program at Ryerson. Yeah, I was in a film program. There was uh, there was a big rivalry between RTA and, and film. Mm-hmm. And I got into the film program, was very excited about that. And uh, it was a relatively small class, which was appealing to me. And, you know, right out of the gate, they, you know, handed us cameras. We ran out with our little scoopics and made terrible little films and, you know, learned the hard way that the uh, most important thing about telling stories is actually uh, learning how to write and not being able to operate a camera. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I wish we had learned that. I wish we had learned that. Yeah. I mean, in in, retro, in retrospect, I, I may not have gone to film school. I, I would have gone and got my English lit degree and reread the classics. Perhaps you know, dabbled in philosophy a little bit to actually you know you know help inform you know what eventually became my career as a writer. Yeah. But I still know how to take apart an Air ESR and put it back together again. So like. Yeah. In the dark. May one day become handy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, actually, the, I, I, I wish now that everybody had the opportunity of working on film. Um, because when you actually see the, the, the film strips in your bin and you know that when you cut, you have to cut right because it's such a pain to get the frames off to, to fine tune and edit. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of hours down on my hands and knees looking for, uh, you know, that one frame yeah. that I'd lost yeah. in my bin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it teaches economy too. Um, I, I, I think now because cameras can shoot forever, people think mm-hmm. they should. <laughs> people think they should. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, that, that, that's absolutely true. And it's, you know, it's, it's especially, especially with digital, it's true. There's not the same economy. You can do a million takes and you can keep shooting and it's not the same, the same kind of, you know, thorough and exhaustive, uh, planning that goes into, uh, actually knowing that you only have a finite amount of time and, 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 and film stock. I mean, we, we would hear rumors of a, a camera assistant somewhere that had an extra roll of film stock in his freezer and, you know, make that our mission to go make friends with that guy yeah. so we could get the film stock. Yeah, uh, I remember those days. And, and you yeah. knew exactly how much you had, so you planned your shots accordingly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Well, so tell me about after film school. You you eventually were awarded the National Apprenticeship Award from the Academy of Canadian uh, Film and Television. But what happened in between? Ah, oh, well, in between, nothing really. I mean, <laughs> I uh, I was awarded that in my fourth year of film school. Mm-hmm. And I think we had three or four months left before we graduated. And I was working on a thesis project. And part of that project was to go out into the community and take a look at a Canadian company and just figure out how how they operate. And so I wandered into Nelvana one day. And uh, Jocelyn Hamilton was one of the producers there. And mm-hmm. they sent her down because they heard that there was some crazy blonde girl wandering around the lobby with her bicycle. Uh-huh. And I was looking for, you know, just material on the company. And before I even got the question on that, she said, do you want a job? Because their producer's assistant had been fired that day. Wow. She offered me a job on the spot, and so I was a producer's assistant at Nelvana. Well, and that gave me a little bit of you know, the financial luxury to kind of shop around, you know, different uh, 
productions happening in the city to see who I wanted to apprentice with because that's what the Academy, you know, award was all about, choosing, you know, someone to apprentice with for four or five months. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, that is such an ironic story because when I was at York, same year, around 92, 93, some friends of mine did their documentary project on Nelvana and it launched their careers as well. <laughs> Small world. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Jocelyn now is head of chorus. Mm-hmm. Right ahead of Cora, so it's kind of come full circle. Yeah. But yeah. so that opportunity launched you to um, pretty quickly get into comedy writing. It did. Um, you know, I eventually, you know, settled on a show that I found interesting. There was a show that was uh, shooting in Toronto. It was first season. They hadn't been green lit yet, I don't think. It was a show that Insight Productions was doing, Ready or Not. Mm-hmm. And they eventually sold it to Showtime. It was a dramedy, it was, which is really appealing to me. And I was really jazzed about a young writer, creator, who had just come out of film school in Los Angeles, Elise Rosenberg, and she said, listen, I don't know if we're going to get the green light. You've got this apprenticeship. We can't top it up because we really have no money. Mm-hmm. But if the show is a go, I'll let you do what you want. What do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a writer. And so they they stuck to their word, Elise Rosenberg and John Brunton, and they put me in the story department immediately. Wow. And that's how I started, yeah. Yeah, working under... And, and now... Pete Mitchell was, was show running? Yep. Pete Mitchell and Susan Nielsen uh, was working under Pete, and I was the, I was the junior. Wow. And I you know, wrote a script first season, and then, uh, yeah, I went from there. Now, I, I, think I, I think it was in an interview you did with Alex Epstein. Uh, you mentioned that that particular story department, there was a great mentorship there. Yeah, there, there was a great mentorship. Well, Pete, of course, who was a famous mentor to writers. Susan was awesome. And Elise as well. I mean, you know, writers aren't known, especially comedy writers, not not always the most sort of cheerful, hey, gang, let's all <laughs> help each other, kind of a bunch. But Elise really sort of instilled in me, you know, that if you, if you, if you want to do it, you just, you just need to do it. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I mean, this was not a story of walking to a story department and, you know, knocking at it at the ballpark with my first script. I think I think my first half hour script that I turned in was, you know, forty five pages or something. <laughs> and I said, Well if I make the font smaller, maybe they won't notice. Oh my. Yeah, it was that kind of thing. It was really a process. I mean it's it's a process that you learn pretty quickly out of shame, pure shame. Mm-hmm. But I figured it out after a while. <laughs> now that that was before the days that you could just get TV scripts online, um, there were not easy ways to learn it back then. There was no easy way to learn it, and I think that's, that's part of my beef with film school, really. Um, there wasn't really a uh, structured screenwriting program. The message that we needed to um, have a voice before we wrote scripts was mm-hmm. not hammered into us clearly. Yeah. There were books that we were given, and we certainly knew screenplay format, but the, the the message that we needed to have something to say before we wrote, you know, words down on the page was really not, that was not something that was taught to us. Well, to me anyway, to my, yeah. to my graduating class. And so, and so the actual doing and the learning of an actual story department where, you know, you're, you're challenged on things. Well, what, what's this scene about? What is this character's motivation? Where, where, where are you going with this story? What's, you know, what's, what's your arc? You know, sitting in a room and actually arcing out an entire season of a show makes you, uh, you bring a lot of yourself to the table and you really start to learn that stories aren't just about getting, you know, the 27 pages and your act break to fall on page 14. It's, it's, it's about the journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would have to say I, I was on the other side of the city, um, and our 
experience at film school was very much the same. Um, it was more about the technique and the technical stuff and, and not about what you had to say. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. And that was, that's, and I don't know if that's actually something that you can teach in a, in a classroom setting. I'm, I'm not sure it's something, if anything, it's something you kind of have to f- figure out mm-hmm. after years of doing it, like writing, you write tons of spec scripts. And, you know, I remember having this conversation when I was actually offered the job on Ready or Not, mm-hmm. you know, because I, was, I had come out of film school and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to work on a TV show. Like, what do you think? <laughs> That conversation. Yeah. The friend that I was uh, conferring with, I was was a novelist, you know, was in Toronto for the summer uh, in, in from New York, and I think he was, you know, sweating blood with his, you know, second novel trying to uh-huh. camera through it, and he, he said, you know what? Take the job. <laughs> the voice. Yeah. It may, it may come to you, it may not, but it's going to take a while, so, you know, in the interim, you should really take the job. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 a voice is not something that just comes to you overnight. It's something that you, you know, pick up with experience and it's really not something that someone else can point out to you. Uh, one day you just say, oh, that's, this is my taste. You figure out what your taste is and you marry that with your personality and, you know, cross your fingers that that translates to the page. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, before we move on from Ready or Not, I also noticed in your credits that you did some directing and you have a second unit director credit on that show. Um, so was directing something that you were thinking you wanted to do as well yeah directing you know it's it, it, directing directing i find just to be a, a natural uh extension of the writing mm-hmm. i did do some directing on that show and a bunch of half hour directing on um, a lot of episodic directing on other shows that i've worked on yeah i mean i, I I'll, my, I'll always be a writer at heart and uh, directing for me became a way to protect the script mm-hmm. very very cool now um we uh, we probably won't be able to cover everything you worked on, but maybe you can tell me some highlights. Um, the next couple of years, you worked on uh, Flash Forward, um, a Gemini-nominated short film, Ebb and Flow, which I think you shot in Nova Scotia. I did. Yeah, I mean, well, what I figured out after working in that first story room is that comedy was my thing. At that time, there really wasn't a lot of half-hour adult comedy uh, that wasn't sitcom. And I learned pretty quickly that I did not want to write sitcoms. Mm-hmm. That the dramedy form, the actual single camera, sort of marrying the funny with the cinematic, mm-hmm. was the way to go. And there were tween shows that were shot that way. It was really the, the one sort of format where you were able to uh, be really inventive and really funny with your camera and make little movies every week. And that's what I decided I wanted to do. And I figured that if I could you know, stick with that long enough, I could really hone my craft somewhat under the radar. Mm-hmm. Well, you went above the radar, though, because you created a whole TV series by 1999. It did. So how did that happen? Well, I had worked on Flash Forward with Daphne Ballin, who was one of the on-staff producers at Alliance Atlantis, and she had read one of my spec scripts, a real supporter of young female writers. Daphne's fantastic. And then she called me up and she said, I love your voice. I want a woman to work on this project with me. It was a, a writer, Bruce Colville, who's got a tons and tons of uh, series of books and uh, this was um, an idea that he had uh, pitched to Alliance Atlantis. The books did not exist yet and they decided to do the television component of this book series first. Mm-hmm. And 
So, yeah, and so uh, Daphne called me, and I pitched my take on, you know, his one-liner. She flew me out to L.A., and we pitched it to Fox Family. I actually didn't realize that I was actually the one responsible. I really had no idea how it worked in Los Angeles. I didn't realize that I was the one, actually, Mm -hmm. who I was pitching, what the gravity of the situation was, and that I would be the only one in the room speaking. Wow. Yeah, I think I learned that as we were walking through the underground parking garage. (laughs) And I think they didn't tell me on purpose so that I could be the, you know, the, the, the wingnut who they threw into the room who didn't sound too rehearsed. Uh-huh. And we sold it. We we sold it in the room. And uh, we went on to do 40-some-odd episodes of that show. Well, and that was, I was a sixth-grade alien. I was a sixth-grade alien, still one of my favorite projects. I had wow. uh, my dream team of writers on that show, and we really wrote it for ourselves. It was like Ed Wood for kids. Wow. Yeah, I think the more of a hit with the college-age uh kids than actual kids but uh, we had a lot of fun doing it wow neat stuff and uh but you didn't just do tv because um you also did a feature film deeply with kirsten dunst yeah that was a film script that i wrote and was able to get financed and shot that in nova scotia in 2000 that was really fun that was a crazy 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 project it was a very big ambitious period piece and we pulled it off, and it was, it was a far cry from my comedy writing, but but a lot of fun nonetheless, and a, a big challenge as a director, and it really made me uh, sort of reassess the, the world of independent film, because it really is two years of your life. Once 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 you step onto set, and add two years to that. Hmm. That was a very, yeah, it was, it was a long, a lot of fun, but a long process. Yeah. Well, I mean, kudos uh, for, for directing it as well, and, and it premiered to a four-star review, at the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, which is going on right now, actually. It did. That was definitely one of the, yeah, one of the thrills of my career, having a film, film at the Toronto Film Festival, for sure. We had a big, great, splashy screening. It was, it was great. And I got to travel around the world with that film to the various festivals. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Great stuff. And, uh, and then you also created another series, Beta Males for CW. Um, tell me about that one. Well, that one, we didn't actually get to shoot that one, unfortunately, but that was a show that is, this is a sad and, and interesting story, actually. It was a, it was a show that I pitched. That was my second pitch that I took out in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. After I'd, uh, gotten my, uh, U.S. agent. Uh, my first U.S. agent, and he sold it to the CW, and CW was just kind of finding their feet at that point, so it was pitched as a very, I, I uh, was working with Brian and Sean first, who are kind of indie producer idols of mine, who did The Matador and The Cooler and Owning Mahoney, really great guys, and they had just signed a deal with Lionsgate to do television projects, and I think I was one of the, the first shows that they picked up. So we took that show out, an edgy comedy show about three slacker husbands hanging mm-hmm. out while they're about gender politics. And uh, we sold it to the CW. And I said, you know what this show is? I mean, this is like an edgy show about these, you know, guys hanging around all day, getting into trouble. And they're like, God, we love it. We love it. A female voice and male characters. You know, one of the first big notes that they gave me was, can we make the men women and can they be black? No. I promise you. Oh my um, goodness! Something I'm, I'm I'm paraphrasing. It was a while ago now, and I of course I said sure. I really <laughs> oh wanted to make that, that that's actually the lesson in all of this. I said, okay, sure. I you know I'm a pretty affable person. You know I'll, uh-huh. I'll make a couple of tweaks. A couple of tweaks. <laughs> a couple of tweaks. Yeah, yeah. I remember Lionsgate was horrified by that. They're like, oh, oh my. The 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 home of Edgy Cable. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So 
you know, they were just finding their voice. I mean, you know, it's now the home of Gossip Girl, so in, in retrospect, it really wasn't the perfect home for uh, beta males. Beta, beta males will rise again. Mm. Wow. Um, and then after that, you um, you directed Black Hole High. You wrote for 15 Love. Um, you were supervising producer on The Jane Show. You also wrote a TV movie, The Mrs. Claus. Um, tell me about that that time. What was going on there? I was having babies. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was having babies and dragging little infants around with me to various uh, meetings and male-dominated story rooms. And I, I, to this day, I, I <laughs> my comedy posse uh, horrified. I think when I would show up with a with a small child hanging mm-hmm. on the breast. But you know, they were accepting. They, they, I was, I was, I was doing a lot of stuff at, uh, at that time. But uh, a lot of stuff that allowed me to work from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. working from home. Rocks. Working from home totally rocks. Yeah. 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 Definitely Working does. From, which is one of the downsides of directing. They don't, I, I still have not figured out a way to, for them to let me do it from home. Working on it. George Lucas does it. Yeah, he does. And, and actually, Rob Thomas, I just interviewed him last week. You know, uh, the show Party Down. Yeah, which I love. The pilot of that was shot in his house. Well, there you go. See, there you go. Yeah. So it, it does happen. You got to be clever, though. Um, so, well, tell me about writing a TV movie, because that, that's different than, than the other stuff that you did. Yeah, the TV movie was, well, first of all, it was a Christmas movie, which I was suspect of. Mm-hmm. Anything holiday-themed, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. But, you know, I said, I, I want to give it a twist. I mean, it was a romantic it was a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. I wrote it as a feature. Um, I developed that with Madhouse Entertainment, my lit management company. We wrote it as a feature, and we were approached by a producer who was doing TV movies at the time, and... I learned very quickly that the same number of pages does not a feature, does not a TV movie make. Because, mm. uh, you know, the first thing that happens, they're like, okay, we're shooting it in 13 days. Wow. So that experience was actually quite painful as you watch a script, which we're all actually quite proud of, mm-hmm. kind of get hacked away. And, yeah. uh, you know, scenes being shot in one take. I think, I think the age of uh, TV movies aren't what they used to be. Mm. Yeah, so that one, that, that was tricky, that one. Wow. And I think of anything that I've ever written, they rerun that. I mean, I think my kids have seen that movie 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> Every Christmas. I'll have to watch for that this Christmas. That's the one they keep playing. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Very yeah. cool. Very good performance. <laughs> and then after that came something that I think was pretty significant for you, which was Defying Gravity. Tell me about that one. Yeah, Defying. Uh, well, Jim Perriott, who's one of the EPs on uh, Grey's Anatomy, created that show. And he sent out feelers for writers, and he uh, got his hands on a spec feature script that I wrote, Dirty Sweet, which was a you know comedy about a young female physicist, and there's a time travel element, edgy and fun. And he read that script, and I got called in for uh, a meeting, and he hired me. Wow. Yeah, so I was helping run the room on that show. Great, great stuff. And now, now that was in L.A., I was in LA. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about that room and and just perhaps a little about how um, U.S. rooms, uh, particularly LA, um, compare to the Canadian staffs. Well, you know, they don't really differ all that much. There are more assistants. There's usually more people in the room. I think we had eight writers on staff on that show, plus Jim. Mm-hmm. The credits of the other writers in the room were, you know, far more um, recognizable, I think, than some of my 
Canadian comrades. You know, but it really works the same way. It really, really does. I mean, we had a lot more time. It's just uh, the process is uh, a little more luxurious in terms of time. We had months and months and months to talk character on that show and talk arcs and slowly, you know, get our heads into the world. I mean, it was a show about space travel, and Mm -hmm. none of us were science writers. And so we had a ton of time to, you know, watch all the space movies, read. I mean, I think I read a dozen books. Wow. Yeah. It was just really the luxury of time more than anything. One of the differences, other than Jim maybe, is that I think because the talent pool in Los Angeles is so large, people just don't have as many credits as we do in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of my peers, I mean, we've all been working for years and years and years and have very long resumes. Whereas in Los Angeles, the other writers in the room who, you know, similar vintage, um, may have only worked on three shows, four shows kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Something else I noticed talking to Canadian and U.S. writers is that Canadian writers are, generally speaking, far more likely to have worked in features, in TV movies, in, uh, you know, a, a variety of different types of shows, perhaps even different genres. Like you might have somebody floating between drama and comedy, where my experience with with L.A. writers is that they tend to be... They pigeonhole you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, well, but just because there's so many of them. Like you need to, this is... You know, this is Sherry Elwood. She writes, you know, edgy dramedy. That's 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 my box. Mm-hmm. Um, in Los Angeles, where it's here, yes, I've done features, I've done kids, I've done adult, I've done TV movies, I've done, you know, hours, I've done half hours. It's it's we come to the table there with so much breadth, not necessarily good breadth, but definitely a lot more breadth. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell me a little bit about what what you learned on that show. I know in, in another interview I saw you said that you learned quite a bit working with uh, Jim Perriott. Well, I learned that, you know, plot is not God. Everything needs to come from character. You're either doing a procedural that's driven by plot turns that you've seen a million times, or you're doing a show where you're really invested in the lives of, you know, the people whose stories that you're telling. And, you know, that's the one thing that he drove into us again and again. Because, I mean, there was the, you know, every second day we were pitching ghost ship. (laughs) They're in space, and they think they see, and Jim would be like, no, no, no. Asteroid? No, 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 no. I mean, we weren't really allowed to pitch those shows. He just uh-huh. did not want to hear them because he said, what's, what's our scene here? What are our characters doing? How are they feeling? What's the attitude? You know, where are we going with this? Yeah, you're pitching me this great, you know, moment here, but where's it, where's it going to go five episodes from here? So it, it was about layers and it was about the slow burn, you know, not giving away too much in the first episode, designing hooks that will keep people coming back, but more importantly, not plot hooks, emotional hooks. Hmm. You think that's obvious, but it's, it's, you forget because it's so fun. You know, you're saying there, you've got your, you know, dry erase marker in your hand and, you know, you want to get plot up there on the board. But unless there's some underpinning, the plot doesn't mean anything. And that, that's something that I really try to tell my writers on fit. Just, re- I mean, remind myself of. Mm-hmm. You're really starting from scratch every time you're starting a new script, and that's always. I mean, you know, and I think my rule of thumb is you can you can be as wacky as you want, you can be as crazy as you want, if there's a really strong, grounded emotional underpinning. Hmm. Very cool. Well, I think one of the best ways to do that is to put your family on screen, and that's what you did with Call Me Fitz. Tell me about uh, creating Call Me don't Fitz. Don't tell them. Well, Comedy Fits is really my dream project. That was my comedy writing sample. It was my writing sample for years. I wrote it on spec, mm-hmm. developed the show on spec. I had a Bible and had a script, and it's the script that got me a lot of work. 
pitched it around a little bit and uh, was always met with, you know, we really love the writing. What else do you got? <laughs> because Fitz is so, can, can you make him a little less unlikable? Can you uh, make him a bit nicer? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's about a morally bankrupt guy. You know, that's what the show's about. Or can you lose the conscience? I'm like, well, no. <laughs> and I'd worked on a few projects kind of leading up to the pitching of Fitz that maybe didn't fully see, you know, get the, the potential wasn't realized. And it's, it's, I don't know. This is the one I just, I didn't want to do it unless I was going to be able to do it the way I wanted to do it. Hmm. And so what changed? What what uh, what turned the light on for Fitz? Uh, well, the, the American writers strike for one, because I was kicking around Toronto and it was the winter, and I was called, a few, a few companies had tried to option Fitz, and they, there were some wacky casting ideas that came attached to those offers, and I didn't feel right. And I got a call from Amaze, Tasa, Lawrence, and Mike Souther, who I kind of knew, you know, casually from around, but didn't really know their work. And they called me and they said, listen, just come out and have lunch with us. What do you got? We really want to work with you. And I said, well, I do have this one thing. Hmm. I'll send it to you and you know, see what you think. They loved it. And had heard through some various meetings that TMN Movie Central was looking to get into half-hour comedy. And so they brought the project to them, and it was a very fast turnaround. Had a great meeting with them, and they really, they really loved the script. And they said, let's do it. And now in the, in the, in the States... It's DirecTV, the Audience Net, mm-hmm. formerly the 101 channel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Yeah, same channel that has the damages and Friday Night Lights, and then uh, Little Old Us, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, there's been a lot of discussion um, about writing for network and writing for cable. Now, with this Canadian network, would you say it's most like writing for cable? Like, it, would it be like writing for HBO in, in the States? Yes, exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have a total freedom, license to go where you want to go. I do. I really do. You know, I mean, they're my partners and, you know, we, we, we talk story and we talk character and they have fantastic input and, you know, I, I, I aim to please, but uh, mostly they're very trusting of us, uh, very trusting of me. They support the vision of the show and this is a very specific kind of show. The characters are very specific and, you know, when there are notes, they're, they're mostly the logic notes. Um, this is not quite clear enough, or um, maybe you want to push this moment a little harder just to, to make sure you're, we're telling the story in the best possible way. We're so inside the show that sometimes you know, we, we miss the odd thing. Mm. But that's really the extent of it. I mean, it's truly the dream position to be in, to be doing a, a cable show with these guys. Very, very cool. And And I mean, for this particular show, you really need that. You think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do. We do. I mean, that's just the truth. I mean, I, we we had a lot of admirers as I was, I was uh, pitching this show, but, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, well, we can't, we can't put on this network. I mean, we, we, we pitch it to effects in the States and they, they said, yeah, this is, this is, this is too edgy for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, and, uh, and so tell me then, it, this is your dream job, but you're, you're not only show running, you're writing and you are also directing. <laughs> so tell me how that works. Well, you know, it's a, it's a juggle. It's, it's, it's for sure a juggle. I mean, we've got enough lead time on this show that, I mean, we go to camera tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're shooting our first little, you know, B-unit piece tomorrow. We go full throttle on Monday, but, you know, we've we've got nine scripts already. Wow. Before we've even shot anything. So, you know, I, tr- I try to front load. Mm-hmm. We started the writer's room in early April, and uh, I've got a very, very tight team 
working for me. Mm-hmm. And I started out with a bigger room of writers, and you know, I was it was the first time I've really show run to this extent, and sort of had to find what worked for the show and what worked for me. And for me, my style is a smaller, tighter team of writers, and we we motor, mm. we motor, and we hammer out these scripts. And the more scripts we have in advance, the more we can work on the nuance of the characters and the arcs and the punch up. Very very cool. Yeah. And you run posts from your house, so that helps too. And I run posts from my house, and I only direct at the end, and then everybody's too burnt out to really, uh, you know, protest too much. <laughs> so I'm directing the last block. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I've surrounded myself with a really great team of people that allows me to do that. Very, very cool. And you won, what, seven Gemini Awards this time? We won seven, yeah. Wow. Very, very cool. Um, and you're, you're writing, uh, so you're, you're starting to shoot season three right now. Yeah, it's, it's season three. Season two goes to air on the 25th of September. Mm-hmm. In November, I think it's November 17th on DirecTV. So they're a little bit behind us, but they've got seasons two and three. So, uh, we'll, we'll be on, we'll be with them for, the, for a little while longer. Very, very cool. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, and then also, um, you signed a blind development deal with Jerry Bruckheimer Television. Wow, you are a very well researched man. <laughs> yeah, this is this this is this is a recent thing. Jerry's a fan of Fitz. Really? Yeah, yeah. Jerry, uh, he he got a hold of Fitz and he uh, a feature script of mine and called me in for a meeting and yeah, so I'm done. I'm doing a show with them, which is uh, which is very exciting. Very, very cool. And can you tell me anything about that? I cannot. Mm. I cannot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's in my wheelhouse, though. Let's put it that way. It's mm-hmm. an idea that I pitched to them, and I'm really excited about it. I mean, I'm I'm fully involved in Fitz right now, so this is a, a future future project. Wow. Yeah, really, really excited about it. They're very good people. Very, very cool. Well, um, I guess we're we're coming close to the end here, but what we usually do at this point is ask breaking in tips. And so to, if you spoke to somebody, not necessarily your younger self, but somebody right now who is young and, and wanting to break into TV, what would you advise them to do? I, w- I would advise them to write. I mean, the, the most important thing is to get a really fantastic spec writing sample. Not spec from another show, but an original spec. Hmm. To really figure out what what their vibe is, what they're interested in, what you can bring. I mean, when I'm hiring people for the writer's room, I'm not hiring people to mimic my voice necessarily because all scripts will eventually go through my computer. I'm I'm hiring them because they bring something specific to the table. You know, I think with younger writers, they they don't necessarily have the confidence to think they actually have anything to contribute. Mm. And so having that spec script, an original piece of material, is, is extremely important. And now, now you have said several times that uh, that people um, got wind of you through your feature specs, and and uh, and so, what kind of specs do you like to read yourself? Um, I'm not a genre snob. I honestly, good storytelling is good storytelling, and that's you know whether it's a film. I mean, every film's going to wind up on television. Actually, no, every film's going to wind up. Someone's going to be watching it on their iPhone. I mean, mm. Not a genre, but it's 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 the story. It's it's just the quality of the writing. I mean, I don't. I mean, my my co EP um, Dennis Heaton, who's an absolute rock star. I hired Dennis because I read, you know, five page webisode that he wrote. Really? Like within the mm. first. Yep. 
the first two pages of his webisode script, I knew he was right for my show. Wow. Yeah, because his voice is very his voice is very specific, and I knew that this was someone who would understand the world of Fitz. And uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't think I read anything else of, of Dennis's. And I made a few calls to make sure that he wasn't a serial killer. <laughs> um, I'm still waiting for yeah people to return those calls. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, you know the writing was <laughs> very strong, so I, I, I you know rolled the dice with him. Yeah, it worked out well. Wow. Very so cool. yeah, it's it, it's it, yeah. My, my my biggest tip is to have a kick-ass writing sample, and um, if if you have that, it 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 will rise to the top, hmm. and will find you. And there are agents and managers and. People like me who are, you know, desperate for great writers. I mean, the more great writers I have in my room, the less work that I have to do. So it's, it's really a selfish thing. So everyone get out there and write good scripts. Very, very cool. And uh, Elwood Inc. is your Twitter handle? Elwood Inc. is my Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I need Twitter friends. I'm, I'm kind of new to Twitter, so I'm not, uh, it's a bit paltry right now. Mm-hmm. Elwood Inc. with a K. Um, so everybody who listens to this podcast, make sure you follow Sherry on Twitter. Follow me. Yeah. Send me cool stuff to look at. Yeah. And and find Call Me Fitz. Now, I was a little disappointed it wasn't on Netflix. Oh, I think we are, Gray. We're totally on Netflix. <laughs> oh, in the in the States? Oh, in the U.S. Yeah, U.S. I wish Canadian Netflix would catch up. Um, but make sure, okay, well, if it is on Netflix in the States, then very easy for you to find Call Me Fitz. Make sure you watch it and get ready for uh, season two, which is coming, and season three after that. Um, so... That's about uh, all I have, unless there's anything you would like to add. That is it. Thank you. Thank you so much for for inviting me on your show. I'm a huge fan. Cool. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's quite late there, and you've got a few things to do uh, before bed, so I'll let you go. But I really, really appreciate you taking this time, and congratulations again on all of those Geminis. Very well deserved. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. Uh-huh.